Wednesday night, we continue our verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book study through the Bible. We're in the Gospel of Luke. So uh, we draw our text this morning from our upcoming Wednesday study. So would you turn with me to Luke chapter eight? Luke chapter eight. Question for you before we get into this. Why did you become a Christian? And then also with that question, uh, what is your favorite thing about being a Christian? And it's funny how uh, sometimes I think we can uh, think about those kinds of things, but maybe lose a little bit of perspective that I think is an important consideration. Uh, why do you like being a Christian? Why did you become a Christian? What was your motive? And, and once in a while I hear stuff from people that I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, what do you say to the person? Oh, I, I wanna become a Christian because I'm, I'm just a deeply spiritual person. That's not a good reason to become a Christian. I'm deeply spiritual. That's not it. Um, there's even good things, good intentions, and, and even good things that are sometimes a byproduct of being a follower of Jesus. For example, peace, I just wanna have peace. And that's, that sounds good, and, and I'll agree, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and um, peace give I to thee, not as the world gives. Uh, so there's a different kind of peace that comes from becoming a Christian, but I'm not even sure that's the best reason, or at least, at least for sure not the main reason to become a Christian. Uh, some of you, maybe you're kind of a Christian because you're born that way. God bless America, man. Uh, tell you what, I was born in America, I'm a Christian. Uh, you know, and just like most of country music, uh, you know, one minute they're singing about God and salvation and next song about feeding beer to their horse. You know, it's like, um, you kind of wonder, do they really understand what, what, what being a real, like what's a real Christian and why would someone want to become a Christian? Well, Brad, I want to become, because it's about community. It's all about community. Brad, why do you say it that way? Because that's the way they say it. <laughs> I just love community. That's not what becoming a Christian's about. Now, community can be a really nice byproduct of being a Christian, but that's not why, nor should it be the way you and I as Christians sell it to other people. You know, you and I, one thing we learn as Christians, we do enjoy the community that's often around the church and gathering together around Jesus Christ. And there is a community that's, that's really cool and a benefit of being a Christian. Um, but if we sell it that way, most people don't really like that. I mean, if you say, man, you, like think about this. If you're talking to your friend at work, if you, if you accept Christ, you can be part of our community. And they're like, you mean the Athey Creek, the weirdo cult out there in West Lynn? Like you want us to be a part of a bunch of those weirdos at Athey Creek? Like people are not drawn to that, uh, being part of a community that way. Um, how do you draw someone to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and you know, the um, people... Here's an interesting thing to observe. People are dropping like flies. Now, we can sit around and debate were they never really saved, but the, the, you know, the world is becoming more and more irreligious. We're seeing people you know, drop off, uh, bail out on Christianity, bail out on churches. Uh, the, the millennials down through the Gen Zers right now, are, according to all those that study this stuff, are, they're just dropping like flies, it says. Now, it's interesting because we're not really seeing that here at Athey Creek. We're seeing um, millennials, Gen Xers, uh, Gen Zers. We're seeing everybody, like lots of people coming to Christ, which is such a cool thing. But as a pastor, I wanna make certain that people are coming for the right reason. Why do you come to Christ? Because we don't wanna promise something that may or may not, may not happen. Consider the disciples, Jesus' disciples. Uh, he chose them. In fact, a few weeks ago, we saw that in Luke's account 
how Jesus selected Peter, James, and John as they were fishing in the Sea of Galilee um, and they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. Do you ever wonder if the disciples thought, man, should we have just stayed fishing? I wonder if it ever went through their minds. We should have just stayed doing our thing, man, because was it easier for them? What, question, do you think the disciples, you know, what, was it better, easier for them once they started following Jesus? Um, I don't think so. In fact, it became very difficult to be a follower of Jesus and it cost them dearly. Do you think the disciples would have lived longer had they said, uh, we're gonna just stay fishing, Jesus. You go find some other disciples. We're just gonna keep fishing. I bet they all would have lived longer, maybe with the exception of John, the apostle. All those other guys were cut short. Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. That's a tough day at the office right there. That's, a, that's Peter. James, the other fisherman that was with Peter, James, and John, James was... Church tradition tells us he was sawn in half, lengthwise tortured because he accepted and followed Jesus. He was a disciple of Christ. And really, even during their discipleship, oh, there were some nice warm fuzzy moments where Jesus would teach them. Uh, like, like in uh, Luke chapter eight, we're gonna see on Wednesday night where Jesus teaches them the parable of the sower of the seed. And how the word, when it hits that fertile soil, it brings forth good fruit. And when it hits other kinds of soil, it doesn't. Uh, a nice little teaching. Those are wonderful times, I'm sure. But then we come to the story that's in front of us on this Sunday morning, um, and it, it's just another one of these storms. Uh, it seems like the disciples, they, they would get totally freaked out, and, and I don't think we can overstate the fear that is expressed by these fishermen. These are some fishermen that were seasoned guys. They knew how to operate a boat. They had lived and made their living in the Sea of Galilee fishing. But now they think they're gonna die they're gonna shriek and say, oh, don't you know we're perishing? Like this story, we're gonna see them freaking out. Um, and one of the things I wanna observe is when you follow Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna have everything perfect. Your life may not be rosy. You may not have rainbows and unicorns and petunias and stuff like that dancing in the sky around you because you accepted Jesus Christ. You might get tortured. You might be persecuted. You might be hated by others. In fact, Second uh, Timothy 3.12, it says, you know, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise of God's word. Nobody's taping that one on their mirror. Memorize this promise of the Lord. You'll, if you're living, the more godly you are, the more suffering you'll endure of persecution. So the Bible doesn't actually promise that your life's gonna be perfect or easy or things are gonna get better or you're just gonna love the church and love the community of the church and stuff like that. That's not really promised. We are called the body of Christ and we're given the admonition to love one another. And, and, um, and there's definitely things that the Lord, it's almost like it's more work keeping the community going in the church in some ways, but that's not the main thing. That's not why you accept Jesus Christ. And it's not why you follow Jesus Christ. Becoming a Christian um, does not isolate you from trouble. Have you ever felt like that? You know, you're like, Lord, what's going on? I'm a Christian. I'm going through horrible things. What, what's the benefit? I, I give up. You know, I thought everything's gonna work out great for me, but what's, what good, good is a, being Christian if, if I'm having a miserable day and getting hit over and over by people that hate me and relationships that are, um, you know, sometimes, have you ever noticed things come in waves and it's like one thing after another and you're just like, man, when it rains, it pours, as the old saying goes, especially here in Portland. Um, it reminds me of the bricklayer uh, his accident report, uh, the insurance company asked for more information. 
So he wrote the letter, I love this. Dear sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three on your accident report form. I put in that category poor planning as the excuse of my accident, but you asked for a fuller explanation. I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later were found to weigh 240 pounds. Rather than carrying the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I then went up onto the roof, swung the barrel out and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 pounds of bricks. You will note in the accident reporting that, from my, that my weight is 135 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, the minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in section three. Slowed only slightly by the barrel, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph two. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold on to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. Approximately at the same time, however, <clears throat> the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom of the barrel fell out, now devoid of the weight of the bricks. The barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. <laughs> this accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations on my legs and lower body. Here's where my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and the presence of mind and let go of the rope. <laughs> you can imagine the rest of the story, but you get the idea. Have you ever had a day where it's just one thing after another and man, you just think, what's, what is, what's going on, Lord? I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of you. And, and, and if you were sold Christianity that you're gonna live petunias and roses and stuff, it's all gonna be great, then you were probably sold it wrongly. And that's why I think people get disillusioned. What good is it to be a Christian if I'm miserable? And people have missed the whole point. Christianity can be very tough. We Christians, we have a Christianese that we talk. And if you've been around Christianity for long enough, we call the difficulties that we face in life, we call it storms. The storms in life, we, we talk about it that way. I'm going through a storm right now. I've heard people say that. Where does that come from? Stories like this in Luke chapter eight, verse 22. Let's take a look. It's Luke chapter eight, verse 22. These disciples choose to follow Jesus, but were they insulated from problems and troubles? Well, obviously not. Try to get the sense of how dangerous this situation seems to have been. Luke eight twenty-two. it says, now it came to pass on a certain day, that as he went into a ship with his disciples, he said unto them, Let's, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. 
And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said unto them, where's your faith? And they being afraid wondered saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water and they obey him. What must this have looked like? Have you ever wondered like if you were there, what would this have looked like? Because there's some things there that make me really wonder. The, the disciples were like, wow. Uh, what manner of man is this? Now, these are guys who already saw Jesus in chapter seven, raise a guy from the dead. That's a pretty good thing right there. They've already seen that. He says power over life and death. That's a big one if you ask me. But they almost seem more impressed here by the fact that Jesus just gave, uh, you know, rebuked the wind and the waves and the wind and the waves obeyed him. That's what they said. So what does that look like? To me, um, you know, you're out there, by the way, um, did you know on the Sea of Galilee, there's a funny effect that happens because of the geography. Um, up on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, there's these cliffs uh, um, and they, um, they're the rocks of Hattan is what they're called. And, but long story short, the wind comes howling from the north through that little ravine and it causes a Venturi effect. Now, if you remember in junior high science, you probably did experiments when you're a kid where you, know, you, you, you experiment on the Venturi effect. Now, it's like when you take a garden hose with water that's just kind of coming out the end and you put your thumb on the end and you pinch off the opening so that it comes out more powerfully. Uh, with more speed. Um, that's what happens with the Venturi effect. Well, that happens naturally on the Sea of Galilee so that the wind howls. You think, what, how bad could a storm be on a lake? Well, as it turns out, I've been on the Sea of Galilee when it was really stormy. Um, it wasn't a giant storm, but I saw five foot swells on the Sea of Galilee when I was there. Um, you say five foot swells, whatever. I could be in my little Tahiti floating around and be fine. Yeah, but picture yourself in a first century, you know, 2000 years ago, wooden boat that's, that's not really made to take on uh, a big, you know, uh, storm with big waves. So these disciples, professional fishermen are saying, master, we, we're gonna perish. We're gonna die. That's what they were saying. Um, so, so what happened? Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves you see, when I get to heaven, I wanna check out this you know, DVD or whatever it's gonna be in heaven, uh, upload uh, the story, because I just wanna see this. What did Jesus do? He rebukes the wind. Did the, 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 the clouds just go, sun pops out, and then the water, like did it happen like that? Because it says even the wind and the waves obeyed him. It's not like the waves were there and then they just kind of slowly calmed down. It, it sounds to me like it just went, perfect wakeboarding conditions there in the Sea of Galilee, like it was glass all of a sudden. That's, that's the idea. They were, wow, he even controls the waves and the wind. So they marvel at what manner of man this is. Um, this is kind of a cool thing. All that to say, um, master, we're gonna die. Were they gonna die? Well, in hindsight, we can act like know-it-alls here. We can say, come on, you guys, Jesus is with you. You're good to go. Jesus is just sawing logs, man. He's sleeping, taking a nap. You guys should just chill out. Like it'd be really easy to see that from our perspective. But if you're in their sandals on that day, they, I think they really thought they were gonna die. Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. Wake up. And then Jesus says, you guys, um, where's your faith? Now, my question would, 
immediately, well, what kind of faith are they supposed to have? They're professional fishermen. They're in a storm that they're pretty sure they're gonna die. Where's their faith supposed to come from? I'm gonna just say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. Well, where's the word of God come in? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh and Jesus gave them a word. What was the word he gave them? Let us go to the other side of the lake. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Um, in hindsight, I can act very high and mighty and say, come on, disciples. Like, it'd be great if you could zap yourself back to that time and get on the boat with them and be all chill, because you know the end of the story. You know, yeah, you guys, come on, chill out. Jesus is sleeping, I'm gonna take a nap too, because he's sleeping, I'm gonna be just full of faith. And I'm gonna rest while you guys are all toiling and thinking we're gonna die. I'm gonna join Jesus. It's easy in hindsight, but if you were there, I'm pretty sure we'd be screaming just like those guys, master, we perish. Have you ever found yourself like that? Lord, I'm going down, don't you even care? My finances or those, that relationship or those people that hate me and are insulting me and saying mean things about me. Don't, Lord, don't you care? But actually, as it turns out, Jesus is just fully in charge. He's not sweating it out or worried. Do you know that God's not pacing back and forth in heaven? Oh man, what am I gonna do about those Athey Creekers? Oh boy, wringing his hands, wondering what he's gonna do. Now, as it turns out, like Jesus here, he's, you know, I love that there's, there's so much I love about Jesus, but two things I really love, he's a nap taker and he likes eating food. That's just, <laughs> you cannot argue that in the Bible. Um, but there's some, there's some things about this that I want you to see. And that is when the disciples signed up to be disciples, I wonder if they knew what they were signing up for. You get a sense that they were thinking, man, we're gonna be like the right-hand men for the king of the Jews. We're following the Messiah and we're gonna be on his team. We're gonna live large and we're gonna be in charge and we're gonna be able to do all kinds of really cool things. But when they signed up, do you think they were thinking, yeah, we're gonna go through storms and we're gonna go through people hating us and we're gonna go through times of not knowing what's going on. And you know, like, like they, I'm, I'm sure they didn't really know what they were signing up for. The storms of life. Well, let me just go over just kind of a quick list here, a quick list, quick notes about being a Christian as it relates to the storm. And here it is, number one, storms will come. That's just a guarantee, storms will come. It's a promise in the word. Don't be shocked when it happens. Um, all who live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Everybody that's gonna go through, you know, Peter talked about, don't count it strange when you go through various fiery trials, which are there to try you, to test you. Don't be shocked when things go badly for you. Storms will come. And you know, we think, but Lord, I'm a Christian. I deserve better. No, what we deserve, this is starting to get to the crux of the matter. Um, what we deserve is not perfect protection, but total destruction. We'll get to that in a second. Um, I have a buddy uh, for years. I've known him for years. And every time I see him, I say, hey, how you doing? Better than I deserve. That's what he says every single time. Better than I deserve. He's got like a, a, a worldview that reminds himself that, you know what? even if I'm going through the worst thing in, in the world, it's, it's better than I deserve. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who uh, was quoted as saying, as long as I'm uh, not in hell uh, and I'm still alive, I have nothing to complain about. Um, that's kind of a, an interesting worldview. Storms will come. Uh, but here's an equal truth on our quick list. Number two, storms will go. That's one thing the older I get, and if you're a younger person here, a younger Christian, like in the middle of the storm, What's gonna, this is never gonna go away. As an older guy, I'm actually realizing, you know, storms will come, but do you know storms will go? Um, this, this storm that the disciples in, it left faster than it came. 
Jesus just rebuked the wind and the waves and it was over and it's all good. Um, I love that. And I've found that in my life, I might be going through storms and difficult times, but I've found that the Lord just kind of works it out. One of my favorite phrases in all the scriptures is that phrase, and it came to pass. Uh, did you know in the King James Bible, uh, the, word, the phrase, it came to pass, happens 453 times. 453 times in the story, and it came to pass. Um, I'm so thankful for that. That's something to remind yourself when you're in the middle of trouble, difficulty, people hate you, uh, you're failing, you're losing, you're, you know, people, like, what do you do? Just remind yourself, you know what? The storms come to pass. Just ask Noah. Noah knew what a big storm was. The biggest storm that ever hit the earth was a little rainstorm. We call it the great flood, where the whole world was flooded and Noah was stuck in an ark. How long was Noah in the ark? Some people say 40 days or 40 nights. No, that's how long it rained. Um, but that happens every day here in Portland or every month, so we know what that's like. But raining for 40 days and 40 nights, that's not the problem. He was on the ark. Does anybody know how long Noah was on the ark? Just over a year. Most scholars believe it was around 370 days, if you do the math reading the account there in Genesis. But that's over a year in, in an ark. And as a kid that grew up on a farm and you know, dealt with animals, um, that's a lot of manure. 370 days of elephants doing their thing. And dinosaurs, I believe dinosaurs were on the ark, by the way. I wonder how big a cow pie of a, of a dinosaur was. Like, was it one wheelbarrow load? Maybe worse? These are the kinds of things I think about. But anyway, being on the ark was not a fun endeavor, if you ask me. What a trial to go through. But I love it, Genesis chapter eight, the first phrase of that chapter, and it came to pass. I love that because the storms do, they will come to pass. Even the longest storm of Noah's flood over a year in the ark and it came to pass. And I love that phrase. I used to kind of think what was going on there when it says, and God remembered Noah, like he forgot him. Like he floods the earth and then the God walks away and it's like, you know, uh, a year later, oh, <laughs> I forgot Noah. No, that's not God. God did, the idea is he didn't go, oh, you know, there's one guy and his family on the earth that I need to worry about and I forgot him. Uh, that's not God. When it says God remembered Noah, I came to understand that that meant, wow, God never really forgot Noah, nor does he forget you, I believe, when you're in the midst of your storm. You might think he's forgetting you, just like the disciples were thinking, doesn't Jesus even care? In fact, one of the other gospels, like, don't you even care that we perish? Um, when he's sleeping, uh, interesting thing, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Now, um, here's the thing about this, that I think there's a couple things. Um, don't you understand that even though the Lord doesn't promise roses and perfection in this life, um, it's all gonna work out good for those of us that are following Jesus. Um, the question is, would you rather go through the storms with Jesus, even if he is taking a nap, versus going through the storms of life without Jesus? And this is, this is where we, we all, as Christians, you've kind of learned, if you've been a Christian, you realize, yeah, I'd rather go through this life with trouble that's promised, difficulties, but I'd rather go through that with Christ than going through that without. And that is really true. Um, I would rather go through difficult, I, I'd rather, I would even be as bold to say, I'd rather have a difficult life with Jesus in my life than to have a perfectly comfortable life without Jesus in my life. That's something I've learned. Um, the problem comes when we say, well, what if it's cancer, Brett? What if I'm diagnosed with cancer and they give me two weeks to live? 
because that happens to people. It's not, not all working out. Well, if you're a Christian, do you realize? I know that this is, seems flippant and people get upset about this stuff, but it's just the truth. Jesus reminds us in his holy word in Psalm 116, verse 15, he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Even if you die of cancer, guess what? It's all gonna work together for good. Just like it came to pass for Noah. By the way, it came to pass over and over again, Joseph's life, um, that, that phrase, it came to pass over and over in the Old Testament. His brothers threw him in a pit to leave him dead, but it came to pass. Uh, they pulled him out of the pit. But then they sold him to a slave owner and he became a slave, but it came to pass. The slave owner liked Joseph and made him in charge of the whole house. But then, yeah, but he got accused of rape falsely. Um, but it came to pass, they threw him in prison and the prison guy liked him, but he was in prison that whole time. But it came to pass. Like that whole story is just over and over. And that's what you have to remember about your story. That's what I love about it. And, and the reason I, I can say that it's all gonna work out and, and you should be okay with that is because not only the quick list tells us storms will come, storms will go, but number three, God word, God's word remains true. God's word remains true. And don't forget it. I know this is um, a verse many people know, but don't forget Romans 8, 28. We know, this is like Paul saying, I assume that you understand this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called, the called according to his purpose. And, and so we say, even cancer, yep, the, the, the day you die of cancer, if you're a Christian, is the best day of your life because you're gonna end up in heaven for eternity with the Lord. But see, now is where we're starting to get to the main issue. Do I suggest that a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal savior so that they can have Jesus with them in the storms of life? Well, that's something that we've all come to love. And that is a good thing that happens when you become a Christian. But as it turns out, that's not really your number one reason why you need to be saved, why you need to accept Christ. See, I think we wrongly sell it as, man, things will be better, you'll be happier, um, you'll have all kinds of things, you'll be more deeply spiritual. No, those aren't the reasons to be saved. I, I, I like the illustration that uh, old Ray Comfort and the Way of the Master gave years ago. And I'd like to remind you of this because I think it's important that we see what the true message of the gospel really is all about. And uh, this illustration does it well. Pretend you're on a flight um, uh, and there you are flying in your airplane and uh, you're sitting, uh, flying over the Pacific Ocean and the flight attendant comes to the horn and starts talking. It says, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoy your flight with oceanic air. Some of you know what this plane is from and it might make you laugh a little bit. But if you don't, you know, too bad. Um, but... <laughs> But this, you're in this plane flying over the Pacific and the, the flight attendant uh, starts talking about, you know, your comfort and stuff like that. Uh, they say, you know, I hope everyone's comfortable. If you want, we're gonna be serving refreshments. We'll give, you know, and they do. They come and they give you the little peanut that they give you and a little communion sized cup of Pepsi. Um, and there you are with your, you know, and your peanut. And, you're like, and then they say, but we hope you're comfortable as you're not. If you're me, you're not. Uh, you sit in those airplane seats, you're just kind of like, you're like this. And then that guy, of course, in front of you has to put a seat down, which then a guy like me, I'm like this, okay. <laughs> this is really great, you know? And um, that's just the way I fly. Uh, not really that comfortable, but um, they're trying to make, I'll give you some reading material, whatever the uh, flight, but then the flight attendant says, and by the way, we also are offering parachutes for anyone who would like one. You're like, what? I'll take your peanut and I'll take your little cup of Pepsi or whatever. and. And I'll just try to survive being comfortable on the flight and it's not really fun, but oh well. Um, but I'm not taking a parachute. 
if I put on a parachute, I won't fit. And why would I even wanna do that? I mean, this plane's supposed to fly, everything's supposed to work. Uh, why would I put on a parachute? Because I can't even fit in the seat right now. If I put on a parachute, I'll be like stuffed even worse. So I reject your parachute. Oh, but it'll make you more comfortable. And you'll join the parachute club, uh, you, you know, oceanic elite uh, for the unwashed masses club or whatever. Um, if you wear a parachute, you'll be part of our team of parachute wearers. Um, you're like, yeah, whatever. Get out of my face. I don't want a parachute. Have you ever been on a flight, by the way, that you really had reason to be concerned? Um, I don't know if you saw on uh, social media this last week, there was a, a video that surfaced from some passengers. One of the plane engines caught fire and was flaming as they're going through there, it's flaming. And, and it, to make matters worse, parts of the engine started falling off and huge chunks just poof. And, and, and it's kind of just dangling, sort of flapping in the wind on fire. And you hear one lady, what are we gonna do? And, and the one guy says, probably sit down. <laughs> like, like, you're kind of like, yeah, what are you gonna do? Like, uh, hopefully, the, and the plane landed, by the way, and everybody was okay. But um, have you ever been on a flight where you were really perhaps in peril? I, I remember there was one flight, I've been in two flights like that, but one was particularly interesting. And I'll tell you the story before I get back to the other. Um, I, I took this photo from my, my, my window of an airplane. This is a p picture I took back in 2004. Uh, back when our cameras weren't as clear as they should be. But I did get this picture with my camera um, out of the airplane window. Now you think, well, why, how would you get a picture like that? It looks like some you know, F-15 calendar picture or something. Um, well, it's, I had a great angle right from my, and on the other side of the plane, there was another F-15 just like this one flying on our wings. Now, if you're a pragmatist as I am, you know this is probably not a good thing. Having F-15 escorts with your 747, we were flying Air Lufthansa from Frankfurt, Germany to Tel Aviv. We were on a flight there. And suddenly these two jets end up on our wingtips. And the captain comes on, ladies and gentlemen, don't worry about what you see out in the windows. We're just going through some concerned issues we're gonna deal with. But they didn't really tell us anything other than um, don't mind the two jets on our wingtips. Some of the people had no clue. They're like, oh, look at the jet. Like it's an air show or something. Wow, look at that. Oh, and they're waving to the pilot. Like, like if you zoom in on my picture, you can actually see the pilot's looking at us. Like you're, you, you literally could go like this and wave. And some of you are like, oh, look at the pilot. How wonderful. Um, but, but see, as a pragmatist, I knew that this was not good. First of all, it's not good because if you notice on the, on the insignia there, there's, um, there's a star of David. So I already know who this is. This is the Israeli Air Force. Um, by the way, um, when you look at this, uh, this picture um, of, the, of the main plane, let me get back to that. Uh, you'll see on the tail wing, there's the black, uh, it, it's, if you can't see it in there, it's an eagle, a fierce eagle comes swooping down. And in the talons of the eagle is a crescent moon. If you guys know what those symbols are, it's kind of interesting. But also, if you're somewhat knowledgeable, you'll also notice this F-15 is armed to the teeth. This thing is ready to shoot something. It's got all kinds of weapons and rockets on it, ready to kill. Um, and as a pragmatist, I know this is not good. Well, we fly through the Mediterranean area there uh, and, and the, you know, there, there's these two Jewish ladies, this, this is true. Uh, two Jewish ladies jumped up out of their seats and were running around the cabin. Why does this always happen to the Jews? Like, like they were really saying that. They're running around, why? You know, and it's like, I, I, I felt sad because it's true, bad things do happen to the Jews a lot, uh, but it was kind of comical sort of somehow. 
But as I, as I saw this happening, um, I thought, what's going on? Well, then suddenly, suddenly out of nowhere, our 747 banked really hard and turned where we were almost like 90 degrees. It was amazing. We were turning really hard and, and everybody's kind of like hanging on, Whoa! and the F-15s just stayed right on our wingtips. Um, and then uh, the captain said, we're gonna be doing a little diversion. Uh, we're flying to a place uh, in Cyprus. Well, well, later on, I found out what happened. See, when, when I got back to Israel, we had a group of 100 pa- passengers or Athe Crickers, you know, we were tourists going to Israel. And so they, they wanted to meet with me, the leader of the group. And I got to meet with the uh, Secretary of Defense of Israel uh, for tea in the Ben uh, King David, I should say, uh, hotel in Jerusalem. So we're sipping tea, talking to the defense minister, and he's trying to do damage control. Now, you know, Pastor Brett, you guys can bring groups to Israel and it's perfectly safe. And I'm like, oh man, we understand what the, this, and we started talking and once they realized we weren't all paranoid and freaked out and never coming back to Israel, um, the guy actually opened up and told me what happened. He told us this, he said, do you know, you know, there was a bomb threat from Saudi Arabia. They called and said, wallahu akbar, we're gonna blow up flight 736 or whatever our flight number was. We're gonna blow up this flight as it flies over Tel Aviv, we're gonna blow it up and bodies of Jews and Americans will be, you know, flying down, hitting the road of Tel Aviv. Um, that was their threat. So the Jews told uh, Lufthansa Air, turn the plane around, do not enter Israeli airspace. You are forbidden to fly and you do not have clearance. Well, the pilot said, we're, we're headed to Tel Aviv. That's our charter, uh, we're going that way, we're going. And they said, no, you're not. And that's why the two F-15s showed up. Ariel Sharon, this is true. I, I heard this from the, the Secretary of Defense. Um, uh, Ariel Sharon, who was the prime minister back then, said, if that plane enters Israeli airspace, shoot it out of the sky. You have clearance to do that. That's what these guys were there to do. And we were waving, oh, look at the pilots. <laughs> um, and, and that guy was looking at us. Uh, uh, <laughs> now, when we turned, the reason we turned so hard is we just, just barely missed Israeli airspace, uh, they told us, and we landed at the only, nobody would let us land at all of the Mediterranean area, nobody would let us land. But the people from Cyprus said, well, we have this old runway uh, that we'll let you land on, but it's nowhere near our uh, terminal. It's always an interesting word for a place like that, but uh, the, nowhere near the terminal, uh, but, and it's not even an air, air, airstrip that's for a 747, but we'll let you land there. So our plane, it was one of those, uh, the most screeching, slammed the brakes on landing I've ever been in. The plane hit hard and wham, we're on the brakes. And we literally were just barely, sco- we ended up in the weeds down on the other end of the runway. Um, and they, they got this big thing that pulled the plane back onto the asphalt. And then they, they pulled these, um, I brought some other pictures. I wanna prove to you, this is not, uh, this, is, this is, by the way, this is a video that Pastor James, he was with us on that trip, James Shields. He had his, you know, back then they had the big video camcorder thing. He brought that. And this is his video footage of that uh, flying. But once we got there um, to, uh, the, you know, the, this little airstrip, they pulled our jet up onto the asphalt. And then they brought these, you know, portable stairs and we all unloaded and they put us all in buses and took us to the airport. Um, those two dot pictures, that's when they bugged out. Once we turned and we're headed for Cyprus, that we saw the two F-15s just go take off the other way. Um, but it was, it was quite dramatic. Now that's Pastor James, uh, the one I was just talking about. And I just wanted to put that picture there because what did he do when we got to the Cyprus airport? Um, he went and bought a salad. Um, and uh, I'm just gonna say, that's the last thing I'd do. If I was going through difficult things, um, I would not buy a salad. Um, but that's James. Um. <laughs> anyway, um, 
You say, Brett, get back to the Bible. To... Okay, let me just say though, this is, this is important. When we, after nine hours, we were there in Cyprus for nine hours. When we got back onto another plane to get back to Tel Aviv, um, they loaded us on, but there was a whole different demeanor. You know that time when you get on the plane and the flight attendants, we have flight attendants here, and they get up and say, ladies and gentlemen, and they tell about the little air, you know, oxygen and you know, uh, the seatbelt, how to do it, which none of us know. Um, uh, and there's, it was so funny, there was a different attitude. Everyone was listening, okay, where's the little brochure and exits are over here and here, okay. And there's the little lights. Okay. Why, were, why was suddenly everybody concerned about that? Because we had just gone through something quite traumatic and thinking, you know, these planes could get blown up and we could go down. Now, I'm just gonna say the little LED light thing's not gonna help you if your plane blows up. I'm just gonna say that. But it was a whole different demeanor because we'd been through something that was life-threatening. And so everybody was listening to the flight attendant. Well, let's go back to our other illustration because this is where I think it starts to come home a little bit. Instead of that previous scenario where she offers nicely a, you know, a parachute, um, what about this scenario? What if the flight attendant tells you this and tells you more the truth of what's really going on? I've noticed people don't like to tell the truth because they might freak everybody out. But what if the flight attendant says, um, hey, we're leaking fuel. We only have a couple more minutes before this plane is going down. And when we reach 10,000 feet, we are gonna give each one of you an air, uh, a parachute. And if you want to survive, you will take a parachute and then you will go at our time and jump out at below 10,000 feet. Um, now, at that time, do I care about being comfortable in my little flight? Do I care about my little peanut and my little cup? What if the flight attendant spills coffee, hot coffee on my lap? Do I care? Um, suddenly nothing is important because I realize the plane is going down. Everything else really kind of doesn't matter. I just need to make sure I have a parachute. I don't care if I don't fit, I'm gonna make it fit. I don't care if it's uncomfortable, I'm gonna wear it because it's a life or death thing. You're going down in flames or you're gonna take the parachute, it's your choice. And, and see, that's the problem. We, we you know, tell people that are not Christians, that, hey, you should become a Christian, get your little peanut community in church. Get your little cup of Pepsi. Hey, you, you know, you get to go through the Bible with Pastor Brett. Oh, that's, that's, that's the booby prize. Um, no, 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 you'll have friends and, 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 and things will go wonderfully for you. But, but see, that's the wrong message. The message is you're going down in flames. This is such an important thing. And this is the message of the Bible. The Bible's so clear on this one. Romans 3, 23 declares very clearly, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us. Well, big deal. Well, then it says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages or cost of sin is death. And it's not just you know, dying, but eternal death and hell. The rest of the Bible talks about what that death is. It's eternal death and hell. Um, and, and you say, well, Brett, um, you, you're calling me a sinner. You're saying we've all sinned and, and I deserve death. I, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. But this is where you have to really understand God's perspective. And the Bible's clear on this one. You are not a good person, you're a sinner. No, I'm not. Well, have you ever told a lie? Well, I've told a lie, you know, a little white lie here and there when I was a kid, I've told a lie. Oh, so you're a liar. So how do I even trust anything you're telling me right now? Because you are a liar. Well, Brett, I, I maybe told a lie and stuff, so okay, whatever, but I'm not, at least I'm not a murderer. Well, have you ever been angry at somebody in your heart? Because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you even have anger toward your brother, you're guilty of murder. Well, I've been angry. Okay, so you're a liar and a murderer. Uh, oh, but it's not that bad, Brett. I, I've never committed adultery. Oh, Jesus said it again on the Sermon on the Mount. If you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. 
So you're telling me you've never done that? Oh, well, okay, I've, I've lusted and yeah, a time or two or more than that maybe. Um, okay, so you're a lying, adulterer, uh, murderer. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? OMG, I would never do that. <laughs> Am I the only one that's shocked when Christians say stuff like OMG or even text that? Because to me, that, everybody knows what you're saying. And, and do you know that that counts against you? Oh, come on, Brett. No, it's the Bible. Check this out. I mean, this is Jesus's words, Matthew 12, verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Well, okay, maybe I have said OMG or Jesus's name in vain or whatever. And by the way, I've noticed Christians, uh, it's, it's trendy right now to be coarse with your words and use cuss words. It's like, that's cool. Because uh, man, they're liberty in Christ, you know. And, but don't forget this. God cares about every idle word you do say. Be careful on that one. But so you're saying, Brett, you're saying I'm a murdering, liar, adulterer, blasphemer? Yep. From God's perspective, I believe we are all wretched sinners. That's just the truth of the matter. And the Bible tells us that so clearly. Um, you think that, you know, all of us are gonna just go to heaven because God just loves us so much and, and we're just, he's just gonna wink and nudge and say, oh, well, I'll let them in. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty good. That's not what the Bible says. And there's a false sense of security. God will let me off the hook because if he's real, he would, he would be loving enough to let me go into heaven. But Romans 3, verses 10 through 11, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth and there's none that really seeks after God. The gospel message is not to make you more comfortable on your flight through this life. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is the only way you'll be saved from going down in flames. It's an urgent message. Be careful as a Christian not to present it to the world. Ah, if you become a Christian, man, it'll be awesome. You'll have a great life. The disciples did not have a great life. They suffered brutally when they followed Jesus. It cost them greatly to follow Jesus. If they were sold to follow Jesus and everything would be perfectly rosy in this lifetime, they would say, why did we do this? What a waste of time. Um, do you, but, but the disciples with all their suffering do you think in heaven, Peter, James, and John are sitting up there right now, man, I wish we would have just chose fishing. We would have lived longer. We wouldn't have to go through all that trouble and the Pharisees wanting to kill us and all that stuff. We would have just been, and you know, it would have been so much easier. Oh, it technically would have been easier in this lifetime, but I'm betting that those guys are in heaven thank, thankful that they were saved by God's grace through faith to have, have eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Savior. There's no other way to the, what's the parachute? This is an important thing. There's no other parachute than that of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I'm reminded, you know, when you put on a parachute, the Romans 13, 14 says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that imagery. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Acts chapter four, the, the disciples, when they were standing before the Jews that killed Jesus, but we were guilty too of that. And you see this in the scripture. Acts 4, 10 through 12. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that's to Jews and Gentiles, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone, speaking of Jesus, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now notice this last phrase, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name. 
You can't put another name in there and be saved from your sins from the flames of hell. You can't put Muhammad in there. You can't put Buddha, Krishna, Oprah. You can't do any of those names. Um, you've gotta have the name of Jesus Christ. He is the parachute. Um, well, Brett, it's uncomfortable and I don't know if I like Christians. Chris, I don't like who I'm sitting next to here in church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Do you see the problem? When the world is looking at the other passengers, if you're on a plane that's going down, does it matter if you don't like the passengers in the plane with you? Um, no, you still need a parachute because no matter who they are, they could be nice passengers or evil passengers. It doesn't matter. That's where the world gets it all wrong. I find it interesting the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, good eye. Full of a bunch of sinners. That's what the church is full of, that Jesus will save by grace through faith. We're all messed up people. The church members, the congregation, the pastors, the elders, the leaders, we're all just a bunch of sinners who've been saved by grace. We're putting on the parachute because we, we don't wanna go down in flames. Jesus is the name. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Um, how does the parachute work in spiritual terms? Um, you know, uh, it, Romans spells this out for us too. In Romans 6, 23, you know, the wages of sin is death. We already mentioned that, but the second part of that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the best news. It's a gift. It's not something you earn to get the parachute. If your good outweighs your bad, no. It's a gift from God that Jesus Christ gives us by his grace, even though we're sinners. Romans 5, um, 8 says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, right in the middle of our very sin is the idea there. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When, when we present the gospel message to the unbeliever or the unsaved person, um, and they speak only of the good. Hey, God, remember the four spiritual laws? Uh, they were great. I remember as a kid hearing the four spiritual laws. And one of those, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The problem with that is if you accept Christ with that as the intention, what if the wonderful plan of your, God's plan for you is to suffer like the disciples did, like Paul the apostle did, like even Jesus himself did? What if your, your plan is suffering? Yeah, but Brett, when you got saved, it's, it might be you know, suffering in this life, but it's eternal life throughout of all, all heaven and eternity through Jesus Christ. So you gotta speak the most important thing, salvation from the fires of hell into eternal life in heaven. Um, you know, this is, this is the thing. Storms are gonna come in your life, storms are gonna go. That's just life. But it's not about, you know, dealing with the storm saying, well, I don't know if I should follow Jesus because I'm going through a difficult time. No, you should follow Jesus because he keeps you out of the fires of hell. And one of the nice byproducts of being saved by Jesus is that you get to go through the storms of this life with Christ with you. I'd much rather go through the storms with Christ than without. Um, that's what the disciples had. Jesus stayed with them the whole time. So when you look at this, um, you know, storms will come, storms will go. Um, I, I wonder how many people are gonna show up to heaven thinking they were saved because they were looking for the good things of this life but they weren't really repentant of their sins and saying, I need to be forgiven for my sins because the wages of sin is eternal death and hell. If they didn't really repent from that or be saved for the right reason, could it be those people in Matthew 7, that will come to me in that day that Jesus said and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not uh, in your name cast out devils and in thy name do many wonderful works? And then Jesus said, I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You, you, you're just a sinner. 
You haven't really dealt with the problem of your sin. You don't have a parachute. So yes, God is good. So he made the way to be saved. The way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father, which is in heaven, but by me. Man, you don't wanna miss that. You gotta put on the parachute. Um, and, and also, if you're an old timer Christian, I hope that you make that clear when you're sharing the gospel. Boy, do you, do you as believers sense this is a really good time to share the gospel with people? I don't know about you, but we live in Portland. Portland is known as a post-Christian society. We're the most irreligious city in America, according to some of the studies recently they've done. But we've been post-Christian, if you've been around Portland for 20 years, we've been post-Christian for a long time. I get a sense in this area we live, people are more open to the gospel than they were even 20 years ago. And there's so much craziness going on in the world and the Bible gives us answers as to why the craziness is happening. Like the only way you can make sense of what's going on in the world, whether it's Israel and Hamas or the Ukrainian conflict and Russia or what's going on in downtown Portland, the answers come when you look to the scriptures. But what do you do with that? Yes, the answers are there, but the ultimate answer of the ultimate problem of humanity is our need to be saved from our sins. We're going down in flames, literally. And yet the Lord says, I will give you the way, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is a great time to share the gospel. Make sure you share the correct gospel. Not a feel good gospel, not you're gonna be comfortable, healthy, wealthy, wise. When you listen to Christian programming on podcasts and radio, I'm always shocked at how we waste airtime talking about your intestinal tract and your health. How do you become regular? Like, like it's an amazing thing that they use airtime on the Christian radio station to talk about becoming regular. Um, uh, can I just say, I, I think we should talk about stuff that actually matters on Christian radio. Um, because being healthy, wealthy, and wise is not what being a Christian is all about. Being a Christian is, man, you're saved from the fires of hell by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Why, we wouldn't, make, why wouldn't we make that the message of our faith? There's people that we're trying to be nice to and trying not to offend by telling them the truth, but they're gonna be loving you and nice to you and happy about you all the way to hell if you're not careful. This is a really good time to share the real gospel. It's time to put on the parachute and let people know the urgency of the matter, that you need to be saved, you need to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ. What a glorious good bit of news that is. Don't just preach the gospel of fuzziness. Um, because there is grace and there is mercy and there is peace that comes and protection and guidance and all those things. But what it's really about is salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, the question I leave you with is, do you have your parachute on? Good question to ask. Would you bow your heads please with me as we close up this service? And Christians, I'm just gonna ask you to be in prayer right now. And please don't get up if you possibly can, unless your bladder is about to explode, um, please. Because this is really an important moment but if you had Christians would be in prayer right now, um, because I wonder if there's some of you that maybe thought being a Christian was about going to church or making friends or being part of a club or, or maybe you were dragged to church for some reason, but I'm here to tell you there's an urgent issue and that is your sin. And what's gonna happen when you die? If you're a Christian, man, you're gonna come to the gates of heaven, the Lord will say, enter in good and faithful servant. Even if you are a horrible person who sinned and made mistakes, the Lord says, I can forgive you of those sins but you gotta go through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the parachute. The, the beautiful thing about putting on a parachute, it's pretty easy. You don't have to pack the parachute. That's a harder, there's only a few people certified to do that. 
um, that you don't have to figure out how a parachute works even. You just put on the parachute and then it works. That's the key. Same thing with the gospel. You may not know all the ins and outs of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to, say, to, to repent of your sin and say, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I am the sinner that you talked about before. I've made mistakes. But good news, God says, while you were yet a sinner, I sent my, my son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins in your place. And should you accept it and receive that gift, you will be saved. Romans 10, verse nine and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it says. It's putting on the parachute, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you and you've never really done that, and you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus did that for you, it's time to put on the parachute. I'd love to do that without making anybody get up or do anything weird or embarrassing. Um, putting on the parachute is just accepting with your mouth and believing in your heart. That's what Romans 10, nine and 10 says, it's clear. And this is a good opportunity to do that. So if that's you and you wanna accept Christ, would you just acknowledge that? Um, and by the way, by you acknowledging it, to me, it's not, that's not what saves you. What saves you is what's gonna come from your heart to the Lord. I'm just wanting to help you with that. But I'd like to know if there's anybody, just personally, I'd like to know if there's people who are saying, yep, Brett, that's me. If that's you, with everybody else's head bowed, if that's you saying, Brett, I'm gonna do that, would you just look up and give me a quick wave? And I just wanna acknowledge you before the service is over, before we leave. I see you guys there, that's awesome. And you right there, cool. Let me just look around for a minute. I don't wanna miss anybody. Back over there, cool. Over here and here, there, good. Anybody else, let me just, I see you and you, good, 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 you. Cool, right here, awesome. Back here and here, good, thank you, awesome. Over there, good, cool. I'm just gonna say a prayer of confession of faith. If you're watching online, you can pray this along with us. But as a church family, we like to pray out loud with all of you because um, because the Lord hears this prayer and we, we just wanna guide you in that prayer of confession. Um, repentance means you acknowledge I'm a sinner uh, before God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. If repentance meant you have to be perfect from this day forward, none of us would be saved. But repentance means you're changing your mind and direction saying, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm acknowledging my sin before God and that I need to be saved from my sinful actions. And then by accepting Christ, you're, you're being saved putting on the parachute. Let's do that right now. Let's pray together out loud. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose up from the grave, and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Lord, would you just bless these people who've just confessed you, their faith? It almost seems too good to be true, but Lord, at the same time, you did all the work, dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world. May these people know, we know it's not an emotion that saves us, but we do know, Lord, that you do reveal your love to us and that your kindness somehow shows itself. I pray that as these guys and gals walk out of this sanctuary, that they just have that burden of their sin lifted off even right now and that they'd sense your love for them and that they have the hope of heaven and eternal life because of what you did. Bless them, Lord. May they grow deeper in your, your word understanding as they grow in faith, Lord, bless them. 
And I pray even as old timer Christians, Lord, that we'd rejoice in the joy of our salvation, Lord, because it's a free gift that you've given. Help us to communicate the gospel to those that don't know. Lord, in this day where so many people are unbelieving, give us the ability to communicate truthfully the true gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.